Great to see everyone. Glad, hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Hope that you're able to get around, not be too sluggish. I know that there's always um, a lot of calories to take in. And uh, if you're like somebody at my house, those calories oftentimes translate into a honeydew list. You have all those calories, you got all the energy, now there's stuff for you to do. So I don't know if it works that way in your house or not, but um, a little sore yesterday from working that one out. Uh, but that said, um, on, a, on a less personal note, we are finishing up our trip down the road less traveled. And the one thing that I would like to just share with anybody who is trying to make the Lord uh, the, the, the Lord of their lives and to be a part of a, a body of people that are trying to do that is that this path is different than any other path that you will find uh, any other God, any other set of circumstances because of the way he's designed it. And uh, what I've hopefully tried to do is help you guys get a handle on what this path means and how it is that it can make sense. Uh, we started out with a, a picture of four different postures that we have towards God. Um, and I've been in all of these places. Yeah, if, if you look at the person who's on top of the triangle, that was my life at one time. I'm just thinking, all right. I, I'm my own person. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work here. I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to map it all out. And I began that process of trying to figure out how I could make sense of life. Somewhere along the way, God became a topic of interest. But it was always on my terms. And I remember reading the Great Commission, which is at the end of the book of Matthew. And it said... Go into all the world and make disciples. And I'm like, oh man, that's pretty radical. I'm not sure that I'm there yet, Lord. I just want to do it on our terms. You know, you and I, me believe in you, and then you help me through life. And it became pretty clear to me that God didn't want to keep me there. And I don't think he wants to keep any of us there, to be honest with you. And so sometimes when we start to tune into God, we think, okay, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to read it front to back, cover to cover. I'm going to have a daily devotion time, prayers. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to live my life right. I'm going to find all of the principles to be a good person, a good husband, a good father. And I'm just going to lock it all down and get it sorted out. And there are a number of us. We try to do exactly that. We try to ransack the Bible for the principles and the things that would guide us. And we found that even though we obeyed all the rules to the best of our capability, it seemed like the chaos of life still um, emerged in, in, in times both timely and most of the time untimely. And you're like, God, what, why, are, why am I going through this? I'm doing everything right. And yet... For whatever reason, I'm struggling with the things I'm dealing with. I'm not sure that you're even trustworthy because I'm doing this. How come you're not doing that? And God's like, that's not how I work. And so there are some of us who say, okay, I'm not going to live life under God in that sense where I'm going to obey rules and he's going to do what I think he should do. Uh, some of us, maybe, maybe we'll back off a little bit. Maybe we'll say, I'm going to follow God. And I'm going to do the God thing. I'm going to keep it a little bit loose. 
and I'm going to go to church. Maybe I'll read a few things that will help me along the way. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do a few things that really just build up my spirit. And that is kind of like going to church or going anywhere that offers a spiritual product. And it's almost like a vending machine. God, I'm going to go there and I hope you can give me what I need for life. And there's no question that's a good thing because God does want to give us the things that we need for life. God does want to give us rules and principles and things that organize our lives. But if we leave the relationship there, you're going to be set up for failure. And there are some of us who say, okay, okay, okay. I'm in 110% with you, God, whatever you ask. I'll volunteer, I'll minister, I'll be a missionary to Papua New Guinea, whatever it takes. And I'll live my life for you. I'll burn myself out for you. And there, there are some who take that road. But even in doing that, the chaos still happens. The things in life that we hope that our faith or our religion would help us to overcome still like whack-a-mole, just pops up its ugly head and as soon as we knock it down, something else comes up. And you're like, I'm not sure this God thing makes a lot of sense. And I would say those are good steps. They are a good way to begin the process of connecting with him in a deeper level. But the vision or the example that God has for you and I is more like, more like this, a triangle with us in the middle. And the triangle is really the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All in community. Inviting us into that community. No matter what is happening out there, that community is that place that God says, you'll find the peace that you're looking for here. And maybe for some of us, it's like, I'm not sure how that works. And when people ask me that, I, I, I kind of like to, 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 to give them a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a tour of the Bible. Uh, but since we're on the road less traveled, uh, let's take the road less traveled to the beach. What do you guys think about that? That's pretty awesome. I really wish we could just go to the beach for the day. That'd be a lot nicer right about now. Good way to recover. And as... Uh, we're going to the beach, we think about all the wonderful things that happen at the beach. The sun, the surf, perhaps wayboarding, whatever. And then there are the realities of what the beach can mean. And I, I remember taking my son, Stephen, for the first time to the ocean. And he said to the waves, as he was following them out when they receded, he was saying, he was taunting them and saying, Na 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 na, you can't get me. And then he would run and the waves would chase after him. And then I was just sitting here watching this, and then pretty soon it happened. He started to run away from the waves, and the waves said, Not this time, buddy. And they just slammed him into the surf. And he got up, and he's all red, and he's just wailing. And he's not very happy with the ocean at that point, because the ocean reared its powerful. And at that point, ugly head. And most of us don't think of the ocean that way, do we? But I think a lot of us in the last maybe 12, 15 years 
We got a glimpse of what the ocean could do. Do you remember back in 2006? It was the day after Christmas. Somewhere in the ocean uh, outside the country of Indonesia, an earthquake happened. And as a result of that, I just want to show a little clip of what, what effect that had in Thailand. Uh, beachgoers are looking at the ocean and they're like, my, the waves are big. And then though, as the waves are coming in, they're like, man, they're really big. As a matter of fact, they're too big. And all of a sudden, the unthinkable happens. The ocean washes up on the beach, on past the beach, into the realm of the places where all of the tourists would, 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 would find their accommodations and just wiping everything out. And as you're looking at this footage, it's just a, a little glimpse of what happened that day in 14 countries. And the death toll of all of that powerful chaotic force was over 230,000 people in one day dead. And I don't know what it would have been like to say, I love the ocean and I love the beach, and then be on the beach that day and find out there are formidable forces there that are very overwhelming. And I don't quite look at the ocean the same anymore. There's an important understanding that the Bible brings out regarding the sea that I'd like for you to capture with me. So be patient with me for about the next five minutes because I want to just draw this out. In the very beginning of the, of the Bible is a story about how God created the heavens and the earth. And the, the, there, there are many things that are behind that story that God wants us to understand. And one of them is, as, it, as the words begin to unfold, the, the, the story goes, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. And in the mind of a, of a Hebrew at that time, those are the Old Testament people, they saw that as, the, as, as everything being chaotic. And, and the ocean was really the epicenter of all of that chaos. And they already had an understanding as God's people when that, when that story was told that the ocean wasn't a beach resort, but rather it, it, was, it was a place of incalculable and unpredictable and mysterious forces that would work against us. And so in the Bible, the idea of the ocean or the sea has always been pretty negative. But what happened as God created the heavens and the earth that said the Spirit of God hovered over these things and then they began to find order. The land emerged out of the water, and, and, and there was a sense of organization about to occur. This organizing began to uh, unfold where plants and animals and everything that we see and behold in nature around us became orderly in its own right. And then the crowning achievement was us. And the idea was we would be in a garden that had all kinds of potential and it was very orderly. And if we lived on the road less traveled, that garden could be a place where we could thrive. We could grow, we could develop, and everything that's in us potentially that could come out would be very, very good. But because we decided that we didn't want to take the road less traveled, we opened the door back up for all of those chaotic forces to begin to go to work in our lives. You see, the idea originally in Genesis was that male and female, humanity, we would be like the rulers over the created order, 
reflecting God's image and then we were accountable to no one but God and as long as we lived the ways of God and we did what was honorable to God God said this place is yours you have dominion over it but when we decided according to the story just do our way God said if you want to do it your way careful what you wish for and then the, and then the chaos began to happen and it has been that way ever since. But I just want to back up a little bit to that story again as I move into chapter 6 of Genesis where the chaos becomes so prevalent. It's not unlike when you and I leave here and we turn the TV on and we listen to, well, it's news stories about how chaos is busted out in this area and that area with this person, with that thing. It's just chaos everywhere, isn't it? Isn't that a good word to describe what you see, what you hear, and you're thinking, man, it's making me anxious just talking about it and a little bit fearful because that's essentially what chaos does to us. God didn't design us for chaos or to be afraid, but those forces that work in our world, they take us back a little bit. In Genesis 6, they got to be so powerful that God said, I've got to tame the chaos and reclaim this thing and get this thing back on the rails once again. So he called Noah. He said, build an ark in the middle of the desert and I'm going to let the forces of chaos do their work. And they did. But God's people were saved in a boat and that story has been in their imaginations and ours ever since. A little bit later, God said... I'm going to call a people and I'm going to use Moses. But about the time Moses was born, Pharaoh said, I'm going to throw all of the Hebrew males into the Nile River because we're getting tired of looking at these Hebrews and we're going to need to call them out from the population. But there was one guy who was saved from the chaotic watery depths that so many of his countrymen had died from. And that was Noah who was put in a little boat and God had a way of basically delivering him and saving him. And that story is also in the mad, locked away in the imagination of God's people. And as Noah's, or as Moses' story uh, unfolded, it became a vision for what God would do later on through the whole nation of people that would be called into the chaos of the water, through the chaos of the water, and onto the other side to a land that God set apart for them. Meanwhile, the people, the Egyptians, who were working against God's purposes, God allowed the chaos to overshadow them and destroy them. The theme of how water is such a negative thing in the imagination of the Old Testament people is something you and I need to understand because it helps us to understand a little bit in a helpful way how we can deal with chaos that is less literal and more of just the everyday events that we go through. So the psalmist, when he, when he wrote about this, uh, he, he wrote these words. Um, he said, The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lifted up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. And it's just saying, I respect the power of the chaos that is at work in the flooding. But the one thing I do know is that the Lord is even more powerful than those forces. And Isaiah, whenever he was writing about 
some things that the people a little bit later on were having to contend with, he wrote these words. He said, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When he spoke these words, everybody like, oh yeah, we're not seafaring people, we're land people. And we know how those forces work and we're a little intimidated by them. As the Bible unfolds and it becomes clear that for you and I, us together, when we go through life, we have these things, each of us, that we have to deal with. And Jesus knew this had profoundly affected the minds of the people that he was trying to train up as leaders. One day in the book of Mark, we read these words where evening had come and Jesus said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they, they, they took him with them in, in their boat and just as he, just as he was and others... Other boats were with them, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep, on the cushion. And they woke him up, and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus awoke. He rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And the reason why that's such an important story for you and I is because it tells us something about how we navigate life as followers of God. Jesus commented on this when he said, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is it that even the wind and the sea obey him? And if you're a follower of, of God, as you go through the storyline of God's people, you know that, 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 that the villain in our lives... It's not each other. It is, it is these forces of chaos that go to work on us and in us and through us. And the story of the Bible is how we can manage this in a way that it doesn't destroy us like the people that died in, in that terrible tsunami. And what God is trying to do for you and I is give us some images to think about. I can tell you firsthand the reason why I go to church is because the chaos in my life was getting to be so powerful that it was either allow the chaos to overwhelm you or something or someone more powerful to save you. And I am so thankful that along the way one name Jesus became that person who could save. Because chaos is, is one of those weird things. Um, most of the time, a lot of times we bring it on ourselves. 
There are times where we don't bring it on ourselves. It's just, it's just living in a world where we're all kind of mixed up. And it just happens. And if you go to the storyline a little bit and you look at some of the images that describe it, I, I, I want to just show you a, a few slides. And they go something like this. God was hovering over the deeps and he brought order out of the chaos, which says a lot about God in the minds of the people of that day. And it's all good. But here we are in the next slide. That's us. We're just barely keeping our heads above water. And there are a number of things that work in our lives that make that happen. They could be, they have, could have to do with finances. They could have to do with relationships. They could, they could, they could be regarding um, fears of the unknown or fears of the known. They could be things that happen to us through no fault of our own. They could be choices that we've made that are now bringing to bear their very nasty effects. And we're like, how in the world do I move out of this? And if you're not a good swimmer, it's even harder. But God said, I am Lord over the chaos. And so here's another image for you to wrap your mind around. And it centers in hope. The writer of Hebrews in 6.19, he says that we have this hope that is an anchor in our Lord Jesus Christ who is interceding on our behalf in, the, in that hidden place, in the Holy of Holies. And it's a way of saying that in the deepest sanct sanctuary of where God resides, he's looking at you and I, and he's saying, hang on with hope, because I am, I, I, I'm your, I'm your anchor. But how do, we, how do we wrap our minds around that? Now, in the, in the Bible, there's, I think there's two altitudes of hope. And this is where I really want to help you understand how we can make this practical. The one is the 30,000 foot view. And that is Genesis 1 to the end of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. And in Revelation 21 and 22, after all of these things happen that demonstrate the mighty power of God, in, in Revelation 21, which is a beautiful opening of the... The new creation that is so indescribable that is yet to come. That is for you and I. Where, where it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And underscore. The sea was no more. When I used to read that I'm like. Oh man. There's going to be no beach in the new creation. There's going to be no ocean. There's going to be no jet skiing. There's going to be no fishing. But I don't think that's the point. His point isn't there's not going to be water. It's that the sea as you know it, as you know the effect of how it embodies all the evil that presses in on you in life, all the chaotic forces that would undo everything that you do, no more. That's the opening line. Those two chapters are all about taking our imaginations and the limits that we have in understanding what is yet to come and giving us some words that we can relate to so that we can be assured that our hope is not misplaced. And that's the 30,000 foot view. And it is a hope that is for everyone. 
It is the reason why we're here. It is the hope that we want to offer to all of the people that are drowning in chaos right now. Now let's just come down to ground level. Because that is you and I. And you may be saying, that's all wonderful pie in the sky, pastor, but that doesn't change the fact that I have my own version of chaos going on. And I'm not sure how in my case God can help. What is the opposite of hope? What word do you think of? Despair. Despair is, that's an ugly word. For me, I I think I most associate despair with purpose. You ever not had purpose? You ever had that moment or season where you're like, I'm confused. I don't don't know what to do with my life. And you tie that to a story that is your story. You know, the story that's supposed to be intersecting with the big story. And you're like, I feel it. I'm not sure what my purpose, bless you. I'm not sure what my purpose is. I'm not sure what my story is. I'm not sure where this is going. And if you've ever been there, it's not fun. I remember coming back from South Africa as a missionary because I was doing this for God. And I had about a year of that. Or I'm just like scratching my head thinking, I just trained my whole theological and pastoral career to be a missionary. Here I am, back in Illinois, back in the cornfields and bean fields. And it was pretty dark. And at that level, I, I think I started to think about Jesus a little bit more in a more healthy way because at that stage of my life I was doing it for him and Jesus is like you didn't have to go halfway around the planet to do it for me but I'm glad you did nobody has to go halfway around the planet what you have to do no matter where you are no matter what circumstances are pressing in on you what you have to do is just abide Now, I know that's not easy because we all have seasons of life that we go through. And we all have our struggles that we face. And we all have to to say, I've been through a lot of chaos with you, Lord. But this version of chaos that you're leading me through, I'm not sure I can trust you. And God's like, trust me, you can trust me. And as God's looking at this, I, I, I think about... The, the last, last group of people I, I spoke with, and they remind me of my mother who, fingers crossed, was trying to make sure that she passed her driver's license test. Now, if she was 16, it would make sense, right? But she's 85. And the reason why it's so critical is she feels like that would be one more thing that I've had taken out of my world. I've raised kids. They've grown up. They've moved on. I've married for years. He's gone. My abilities to do those things that I used to enjoy doing so much, they're diminishing. 
my vision isn't what it used to be. My hearing isn't what it used to be. And it's almost like you're given cards. And each card represents an ability that God's given you. And slowly, that card is being taken away. And as you have that happen to you, you're like, wait, wait a minute. And it's like, I, I, I can't handle that, Lord. I'm not ready for that. And it, it's a struggle. And what God is doing is not being merciless to a vulnerable portion of our population. What he's doing them is he's preparing them to be with him forever. And he's saying, you tried these four different ways to relate to me. Now that everything is disappearing, I want you to know I am still with you. You know, my mom, she's pretty cool. Uh, I wish I could see her more. And she's like, every time you come and see me, you just want coffee money. No, I'm just kidding. It's for lattes. No, I'm just kidding. I don't... I I try to do something nice for her. And... But she always tells me, without, without fail, God is good. God is good. God is good. And I'm like, you say that all the time, Mom, like you believe it. And I can honestly say I think she does. Because I think this is, this, this is the place where she's not a perfect human being and I'm probably less. But this is the place where she found herself here. In this next slide. Even though she's alone every day and her brother comes and she finds purpose through cooking food for him. He's not alone. He's got the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's got joy. And I look at her and I'm like, he's getting close to being ready. I'm going to miss her. But I do know this. On this long journey of trying to do it, God's just been showing her it only works when I'm at the center. So she went through her grief, she went through her trials, she went through her despair. And now she's got a peace. She almost died this summer and she didn't seem to be too shaken by it. Why? Because in the center of that community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is our safe place. There is no other place, my friends. I went and saw a superheroes movie the other day and it was about going to Asgard If you're a Thor fan, maybe you know where I'm going with this. But one of the statements in there by Thor's father was, as Asgard is getting ready to be destroyed from the, it's not rums, it's not the Amish word. There it is. I knew you had it. Ragnarok. It's their apocalypse. The dad said, Asgard, did I pronounce that right? Asgard is not a place, it's a people. I thought, wow. We're not a place, we're a people. Pretty messed up people, but hey, grace hopefully makes it work. And we work the best when he's at the center. And 
our whole lives really are God's way of telling us, I'm taking you through a series of circumstances so that hopefully by the end you'll get this point. But it only works when you're at the center of us. And our whole purpose here, as perhaps imperfectly as we execute it, is to help one another be at the center of them together. Yet, pastorally, I know the deep pains that many of you feel. I know the heartaches. I know the grief. I know the strain. I know the chaos. I even have my own brand of it. And yet, I can tell you with all sincerity that in order to weather the storm, that's the only place to be. And you get it now or you get it later. You know, in the book of Revelation, I'm just going to close this out. In the book of Revelation, there's a quote from Isaiah 61. And it says there's this beautiful image that is in Revelation 21 and 22 of the end, end day when the heavenly city comes down and the garden is now populated with all these people in the city and the combination of the early garden and the city come together. And it says that that city will have its gates open day and night. And it not only says it in Isaiah, but it says it in Revelation. I'm like, why is it important that the gates are open day and night? And I honestly don't know the theology behind this. So please don't brand me a heretic. But it says right after that, outside of the gates are a list of people caught up in a variety of idolatrous sins. And there's this lake of fire. And it's not in my mind an image that says God is taking pleasure in seeing the chaotic forces turn the heat on their lives. I almost think it's God's way of saying, because right after it says that the gates are open, those who wash their robes can come in. And I'm like, I don't know if that image is for now or for then, but what God is saying to you and I is that the fiery circumstances of chaos will bring misery on our lives until we get right with God. It's not God's design to bring misery. He's just saying, that's what happens when you step outside of my will and purpose. And I love you so much, I don't want to see you there. But I, I'm, I give you the dignity of your free will that if you want to be there, you can be there. But the one thing I want you to know is how much I love you because a bloodstained cross said, I have destroyed death under its own terms in a nonviolent way. Because of the great love that I have for you. And God is saying all of those things because he wants you and I to wash our robes so we can come in. Because the gates are always open. What a beautiful picture. But here's the tragedy. C.S. Lewis said, The gates of hell are locked from the inside. I don't know if you know what that means or not, but it basically means this. We can get so caught up in our own way of doing things that eventually we lose the sensitivity to change to the purposes of God. 
And I don't know about you, but I don't want to see anybody lock the door from the inside. I want to see all of us together in that new city where we don't have to have sermons like this talking about the chaos of the sea. And God's given us a way, and it's one person. The person that I began with and the person that I end with, Jesus. As we conclude this series, I'd like to help you any way I can in the process of knowing him. You can come and see me after the service, Sean, Brian, Mickey, Jim, and one of the elders here. We would love to help you, Jason. And we would like for you to know that that is why we are here. That is the storyline that we get right sometimes and we don't get right sometimes. But it is the storyline. And it's the one God invites your smaller story and my smaller story into. Maybe God's created a moment for you. And if he has, I know he's asking you to walk into it.